Welcome um, and good evening and thank you so much uh, for the welcome here in Ottawa we've experienced. I have been working here in Ottawa the last month um, and so it's just been a joy to be able to connect with some folks in person and uh, make it out a few times on Sundays and up to Perth and so it's just been, been really a blessing to be able to, uh, to connect um, with community here in Ottawa and we do hope to come back for more of a vacation soon so we can have a bit more time together. Um, maybe the end of the summer, we'll see. Um, let's start with prayer and, uh, and just uh, thank God for uh, this moment together and also the beautiful sunshine that we're having. God, I just thank you that you, um, yeah, through the winters of our lives and of our Canadian uh, climate here, God, that you break through with spring. You always do. You always will. And God, I thank you for hope. Um, I thank you for the warmth that's coming even in through the windows right now and probably in homes still, God, as we um, enjoy this little longer day than we've had in a long time. And um, yeah, I just, I, I thank you for the new life, the new growth that we're experiencing all around us. And for the things that, that we are grieving, uh, God, we bring those to you tonight as well. We just bring all of who we are to you our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our spirits, our relationships. And we ask you to breathe life into them again as we spend this time together listening to you and to each other and, uh, and sharing back to you in prayer. So God, we give this time to you um, wherever we are tonight, um, physically and wherever we are mentally and emotionally. God, we give ourselves to you. Thank you, Jesus. Paul starts with this word, rejoice. He loves starting with that word, rejoice. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And now he's going to write some things, and he says, first, uh, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, he's going to write some things that he's already been sharing with them. Um, he's connected with these folks um, over some years and uh, connected with them on what we call it Paul's second missionary journey. You guys have been journeying through Philippians. You've probably looked a little bit at the background uh, of um, the book and who it's, being who, who it's been written to. I'll touch on a few things tonight uh, that may be re repetition, but Paul himself is going to repeat himself to the Philippians. He's been sharing some things, and he thinks it's really important that he share them again. So finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is of no trouble to me, and it's actually safe for you. And then he gives some warnings. So I think it's, it's interesting to watch how Paul relates all through Philippians. I find it fascinating the relationship that Paul clearly has, an intimate, connected relationship with these people. He's not there in person, just like we're not in person all together tonight. And Paul is leaning into his relationship. This is what stands out to me in Philippians. He's leaning into his relationship, counting on the fact that that connection that he has with them will allow his meshes to be transmitted. And don't we need that from our Father tonight? Don't we need that from each other through the distance, whether it's physical distance, emotional distance, or even the separation that we feel because we don't see or understand things in the same way over the last couple of years. We want to see that distance spanned, and that is what God is all about, spanning the distance. God is incredibly capacitated to span the distance, and he goes to every length to do so. And Paul embodies that in his letter. In fact, he uses himself, he uses Timothy, he uses Epaphroditus as three examples, three living examples, um, culturally um, uh, present examples for the Philippians. The Philippians know all three of these people. And he's saying, this is how you know 
like John would say, what love is. This is how you know who God is. And of course, you've already looked at Philippians chapter 2 and the ultimate example who these men are now showing um, is that of Jesus, who gave everything to be able to make that connection, to bridge that gap. But he's going to start with a warning. I'm going to start with some warnings because there are others who have other agendas. Not the same agenda as God's, not the kind of giving that Epaphroditus did, giving basically almost his life. He almost died um, trying to, to bridge that gap between the Philippians and Paul. Timothy, Timothy's, there's nobody who cares for me like Timothy, says Paul. And Paul, we know how God turned him around and his heart was just absolutely poured out for the same church that he used to persecute. So these men are all in, but there's others who are not or at least they're all in for a different agenda. So he starts with, with these three words. He says, look out for dogs, look out for the evildoers, and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Who on earth are these people? So in our cultural context today, we think dogs, we think bow, wow, wow, right? Um, I think there's something else going on here, although maybe they did need to look out for dogs. Back then, they weren't so much necessarily pets. At least there was lots of strays, and I've been in lots of parts of the world where that's the case, and I kind of watch my back, especially on the way home at night. And if a dog starts barking and running, so do I. And um, I usually pick up a rock along the way. But I think, I think there's something else that Paul wants to say here about the dogs. So he says, look out for dogs. And if you, if you do some study both within the Bible here and, and you look at what others have to say about this, I think it's, it, it's very interesting to look into these three words and also then to contextualize them to, to our day and age. So the Greek word... A kuan is essentially a person of an impure mind or impudent. Somebody who is wanting to present something that is impure, something that is going to lead these people away from the purity of the gospel, away from the purity that God has called the Philippians in Christ to live. Okay, so that's a dog, all right? Evildoers. The word here in Greek is kakos, and it means somebody of a bad nature, wrong, wicked, troublesome, injurious, or destructive. And it's, it's a worker or a perpetrator, somebody who does these things or encourages others to do the same. So those are the evildoers. And then the last one, those who mutilate the flesh. And Paul really goes all in here. And it's pretty, pretty gruesome, the word he uses here. But essentially, he's talking about some people that um, have been coined in, in our day and age in English to be the circumcision party. In other words, they were Jews who were saying, hey, you got to do all the Jewish stuff, including circumcision. And so they were people that were trying to sway the Philippians who had found freedom and hope and life in Christ to go follow the law, a different way to get to Christ in their own uh, strength, their own capacity. So we've got the steering towards impurity, we've got the steering towards wickedness and, and these people who just want to injure and destroy, um, and you've got these people who want to lead into a different gospel, one of works and a focus on what we can do uh, to make ourselves somehow better so God could accept us and we could have that connection. Um, essentially, these are all people working against that connection, against that relationship, against that ability to have a whole living, vibrant relationship with Christ and with each other as the church. And that, like we know in John 17, is the gospel that will be on display. So essentially, Paul is seeing if this keeps going forward, if these guys lean in and the church in Philippi says, yes, we'll go with any one of these, these groups, um, we're going to see the gospel um, 
massively changed, right? Whether it's works or impurity or just uh, wicked, wickedness and trouble, it's not going to be the gospel. So Paul starts with this warning. He's talking about these other people, but clearly Paul has not... This isn't the first time God, uh, that Paul has, has shared these things with them, and it's not the first time he's going to share what comes next, which is really the heart and meat. I think, as I said um, earlier, his, 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 even his manner is highly relational in this, in this letter, in this epistle. So he's leaning into his relationship with them and just giving them this warning at the beginning, hey, that's, that's, the, that's where we're not going. That's where I don't want you to go. These guys do exist in your community, but let's not go there. So where does he want them to go? What is he going to encourage them to do? What is he going to remind them about? I think it's very interesting, epistles, as, as we call this an epistle, a letter written to this church. In a sense, they're, they're, if, you, if you will, then the Bible isn't a manual. It's not um, a, a to-do list, and we know that. We talk about that, right? But the epistles are almost like a manual of, of corporate culture, of how do, how do we live together? Um, and clearly... The epistles are a relational living thing between these, between these people. They're spanning the distance. But they're a call to right living together. So what should the body of Christ look like? What should the kingdom look like in the context of Philippi? I think it's important to, to lean a tiny bit in, and you guys have probably talked a little bit about this, but Philippi was one of five Roman colonies. Rome decided, ah, these five places, Philippi's one of them, will be colonies. They're special places. Um, the mil- Roman military would be given land there, and they would get privileged, um, uh, the, the privileged ability to, to have Roman citizenship if you lived in, in Philippi. It was both a port city and it was on the Roman road, the Via Ignatia. So it's a very, a very key place. But the people there, it's very interesting that Paul, Paul does not go to a synagogue when he goes, if you read in Acts, right? So some people would lean in and say, there probably weren't many or even almost any Jews there other than the itinerant ones that came in and tried to Judaize the, the new Christians. The reason is because Rome would give a synagogue to um, a community if there were more than a few hundred Jews. So we're looking at probably a Gentile church, which I think is very interesting. And we know that there was a bunch of women. We know there was Lydia and her whole family got saved. The jailer and his wife and their whole family got saved. And there were several other people. Paul addresses several women in the letter here. So we've got women, we've got men, we've got people that have known Paul quite a long time. And just, I won't go into the background of these folks, but I think it's very interesting to think about who it is Paul's talking to. This is the body of Christ in Philippi. But they were very tempted, likely, to lean into their Roman citizenship if they had it, which a lot of them probably did, and into a comfortable lifestyle right? It's almost like living in a capital city, right? We got the potential, many of us, for a comfortable lifestyle and to lean into this reality that, well, you know, we've got this citizenship and it gives us some rights and privileges, and maybe that's great. Um, across Canada, really, we have that privilege in many ways living in the country we do at this, at this particular time in history. Other places in the world are not necessarily like what we experience here. But I'm just calling us to, to notice that this is, this is likely the experience that they're having culturally. Well, Paul's calling them to something higher. He's calling them to a kingdom culture. And he repeats this particular word, mindset, all through Philippians, right? Have this mindset, this mindset that Christ had when Christ came down, this, this whole, I'm not going to call to, and we know um, 
Paul chose as a Roman citizen and as a Jew, upstanding um, Jew, as about, about as perfect as they come, and he's just going to go through that in just a moment. And he chose to just leave all that behind because he saw something so much more valuable, so much more important. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think I'm just going to call us ahead, and you're going to land on, on this <coughs> in the next couple of weeks, but chapter 4 he says, whatever is, and we know the list, right? Honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. These are actually all Hellenistic cultural terms. So what's very interesting, he might be saying, actually, there are good things in your culture. And whatever you see of those, live those out. Live into those. Call those out in your culture. But there are other things that I want to call you to, a higher way in aspects that, <coughs> excuse me, these folks that are, wanting to, that I'm warning you against, want to pull you away from, or just that comfortable lifestyle that being a Roman citizen, having more privileges than most people do in your um, context, it's very tempting to not live the kingdom way, the kingdom culture. So, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Get myself a second here. One more, one more interesting thing here, I think, culturally. Gnostic thought was a, a reality, and we talk about Gnostic, Gnostic thinking, Gnostic thought. But I, as I was reading through this and taking time the last several weeks, just reading and rereading Philippians, and actually, interestingly, I'm leading a, helping lead a YOM course online, and we're actually reading Philippians right now, uh, having the students read Philippians. And sitting with this, it's, it's very interesting looking, thinking about the reality of in, in, in that time period, in that place, um, on the planet, there was very strong leaning into Gnostic thought, which actually affects us still today. But essentially, one thing we can extract from Gnostic thought is this separation of the spiritual and the physical. And you could go one of either, either ways with that if, if, if you leaned into Gnostic thought, as was likely very possible for these Gentile believers in Philippi. You could say, well, you know, the spiritual trumps everything, so I can just live however I want in my physical life and, you know, um, I'll, I'll do my confession, I'll do whatever I need to do and clean up, you know, on a Sunday morning style. I'm translating into our time now, and I'm good to go, right? So there was the, the, the license or licentiousness, the license to do anything, or asceticism. You know what, I'm, I'm just not going to touch the whole, the whole embodied thing. I'll just kind of pull myself out of society, and I'll just stay holy and pure and whatever. And if you look at those warnings at the beginning, those are essentially those two those two groups, the first two groups are probably the more licentious. We just go with it. You know, let's, let's steer towards impurity and wickedness. And the last one, well, no, you've got to pull out of all these things. Paul, again, like I keep repeating, is he's calling them to a different way. So the theme that, that I think is a key theme here in this particular section that we're reading is uh, one of sanctification. You want to be cleansed, but not by your works. You want to be cleansed, not just journey into impurity and whatever, it doesn't matter <coughs> because Gnostic thought gives you, gives you that, right? You want to be, be cleansed because there is a better way because God has this, this deep desire for a relationship with you and for you to have with the church and ultimately for the gospel to go forward, again, like John 17, so that they may be one that the world will know. And so, um, so we go on into verse 4. As I've already mentioned, Paul says, I have reason more than anybody for confidence in, in this physical embodied state of being a Jew, 
Um, I was circumcised, I'm part of Israel, I'm actually the tribe of Benjamin, doesn't get much better, maybe Judah, but Benjamin is pretty good. Um, according to the law, I'm a Pharisee, and if you want to see, you know, verse 6, what, uh, how much zeal I have, well, I persecuted the church. So, um, and actually, I don't know how this is possible, but according to the righteousness of the law, I basically, I kept them all, I'm blameless. Nobody can fault me. Maybe they just don't know. But he was, he was... Um, able to, to say, you know, in this, as a human being, I, I kind of excel. I, you know, I, I, I was in this place where people could not fault me. And yet, he says, verse 8, and I'm counting that you guys have done the reading, so I'm, I'm skipping through and pulling out highlights and not reading every single verse. Verse 8, he says, but I count everything lost for the worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So to him, all his capacity humanly, he's not throwing out his humanity, but he's saying all my capacity to, to pull myself up by my bootstraps humanly, it's, it's worthless. It's nothing. It's not um, getting me where God has, has designed me to or where I want to be. And I want to gain Christ, to be found in him, not having righteousness of my own from the law, because that's nothing compared to the righteousness through Christ that I, I have with God that depends on faith. And so I'm, if I were to pull out, go, I'm going backward just for a second, the, the verbs, the things to do. First he started out rejoice. Then he said look out. Then he said count loss all my trying on my own, know Christ, and gain Christ, grow in that, that connection with him and that receiving of life from him. So that, verse 10, so that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings like him in his death, so that by any means I may attain to the resurrection. And this is, this is one um, section where I think a lot, of, a lot of us have some question marks. What do you mean, attain to the resurrection from the dead? And um, a, little, a little word study and a little contextual study here does, does a lot of good. Knowing Christ in the powers, res, power of his resurrection, share in his sufferings, become like him in death. So Greek, the, the, the possible, by any possible means, is if indeed or since or if after all. So Paul, we know in this, in this historical period, we're pretty confident by what he says in the letter boy, what he, by what, when we read Acts and we think about where he is, he's either in Rome or in Caesarea. He's awaiting trial. He was in both places a couple of years. In Rome, we know he was killed after that, but Caesarea, he didn't know if he'd be killed either. So he's in this waiting state. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He's hoping to go to Philippi, hoping to see the Philippians. He says so, and he's sending this letter ahead of himself, but he's not sure if he might actually physically lose his life to the Romans. Who, and, and, of course, those who turned him over to the Romans. So he's facing possible death. And what he's saying, I think this, if I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, he's like, doesn't really matter how I get there. I'm looking forward to getting there. If they speed it up for me, I'm, I'm on a mission. I want you to know that I'm leaving behind, now I'm jumping ahead here, but I'm leaving behind what's behind. I'm pressing forward because this worth of knowing Christ, it surpasses everything. So 
This experience of relationship for Paul was so real, he didn't give up his humanity. He fully lived in it, and he's inviting the Philippians to live in it, not hanging on to, to, to aspects of it like a citizenship. It's so much more, Paul says, but live in it. But don't see that as something to hang on to because there's so much more coming. No matter how he gets there, he's excited and encouraged, and he wants to encourage the Philippians to go all out in their lives for Christ. They're tempted to lean into the Roman citizenship, tempted to lean into comfort, tempted to lean into these other voices that are going around that are saying, oh, you could be a little bit more religious and that could help you out, or you know what, why don't you go over here and just be a little bit more impure, because you might as well, because you can get cleaned up later on and it's no big deal. And, and Paul, Gnostic thought, Paul says, there, there's so much more. So he's inviting them to this, and he's embodying it, fully embodying it for them. And I think if there's anything, as I've said at the beginning, that he leans into this letter, it's his relationship with them. And it's an embodied relationship. He's saying, I've been with you, and I'm saying things to you that you've heard me say, probably in person, possibly in other letters. You've heard me say these things. You know this is my heart. I just want to remind you of this. Perhaps it's almost that he is certain that he's dying soon, and he just doesn't want to miss the chance to say these things one more time. So this is highly important, highly important things that we're hearing from Paul here. We have a few more minutes, and I'll make a few more comments, and we'll work our way to the end of this section. I think what's interesting, as you've already looked at, at part of um, Philippians, is to note chapter 1, verse 27, for example, or 2, verse 2, there's actually division in the church. Um, Two, verses 3 and 4, we know there's selfishness and looking out for their own interests. Um, 2.14, they're complaining. 4.2, they're not getting along. So they, he's calling them to a higher way of relationship with God, but also with each other. He's calling this out. He's saying, there is another way. There's a relational way, and I want you to live into that and live that out. And he's calling on himself, on Timothy, on Epaphrodites as examples, ultimately pointing to Jesus, who is the ultimate example. And... In, verse, uh, in chapter 2, verse 21, he says, don't have confidence in the flesh um, and in seeking your own interest. The Roman materialism, the self-centered influence of the Roman culture that we talked about, and, and he, that citizenship, but just the whole ethos of the culture, not so different from today. He said, he's saying, I'm calling that out. I noticed that. I noticed that that affects you. And... Um, and so his message ultimately to the Philippians is, look to Jesus, and you'll see Jesus in myself, in Epaphroditus, in Timothy, in each other. Copy Christ's example of humility, of sacrifice, of servanthood, um, and live lives that are characterized by joy, by peace, by rejoicing no matter what. And show Christ's love to each other. Walk in unity and harmony. These are the themes that you guys have been sitting with and will continue to sit with in this, in this book. And I noted something Paul wrote to another church, to Ephesians, which is actually a letter that was intended to be circulated. So the Philippians very, very likely read this letter as well. Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before, beforehand that we should walk in them. And I was sitting with that. Um, a couple Sundays ago, I was up in Perth and, and sharing a few thoughts. And this idea that, that we are God's masterpiece, we're created, we have something to run with. It, we're, it's not a vacuum. It's not, don't do this. 
Oh, you can't do the religious thing either. And then we're stuck with nothing. There is something amazing that God has called us to. And I've, I've really leaned into that in the last couple of years thinking, you know, Satan, I really think has felt like perfect moment because divide and conquer, right? And he is an enemy. He is the accuser. He, he finds ways to disconnect relationships. And he says, perfect moment. Everybody's as disconnected as they've ever been, perhaps more than ever. They're globally connected, disconnected, right? We're all talking about our disconnect. Perfect moment. Let's throw a major curveball. And he do, he's done it for the church. He's done it globally. We obviously are very connected with the, the conflict uh, in Russia and Ukraine, and there's many other conflicts around the world. It just feels like there's so much conflict. And whether that's globally or in our country, our province, our city, or even our family, we just feel this tension. And I felt like God has been challenging me. What, what I've gifted you with, what I've called you to, is for such a time as this. It's for such a time as this. And we live into that. It may not feel like it makes a difference. But what God has called you to, like Paul is championing and challenging the the Philippian church here. And he says in in verse 12, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfect. I'm not there yet either. We're on this journey, but I'm pressing forward is a verb that he uses. I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm straining to what lies ahead. I press on, verse 14, towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he ends, he says, anybody who's mature, you can already be thinking this way. I've talked to you guys about these things before, and some of you are mature and you get this. You understand that when things get really tense, you lean deeper into relationship. It's harder, but you lean deeper into relationship. And you let the other things go. You let the, the, the laurels of the past rest You also let the failures of the past rest. You let the divisions of the past rest, and you say, I'm leaning in now. And God, what have you called me to? What have have you put in my hand? Moses was stuck with a stick. Well, God did amazing things with a stick. I don't know what you feel like you have in your hand right now. I don't know what you feel like God has called you to do with that, or if you know what he's called you to do. But I believe that God, what he's gifted for you, like Paul said to the Ephesians, it's for such a time as this that we are God's workmanship, and there is something that he's calling us to. Galena's picked up watercolor in the last few months, and it's a way to kind of breathe and, and just, you know, it's the kids are in bed, and work is sort of done for the day, the dishes get done or not done, and we go and, and, and do something that's restful and recharging. Well, I watch Galena, and she, she, she has multiple passes over that paper. So she comes and she does a wash, and she sets it aside and lets it dry, maybe to the next night. And then she comes back, and then she adds some textures and colors and shapes, and then she sets it aside, and then she comes back. And I really think that's what God does with us. And sometimes we're set aside, or sometimes we're soggy like that piece of paper that, you know, our toddler has been, has been learning to watercolor on, and we're just like, what's going on, God? And he sets us aside maybe for an extra time to dry, because we've really got waterlogged. Finish up in one minute here. But God is working. We are his masterpiece. And whether you feel set aside right now or waterlogged or you feel that paintbrush running over you and doing something beautiful, it's all part of this journey. So the the last example I'll leave you with is is this one that I've been sitting with of, of, of a surgery. A surgeon, a good surgeon, cares more about the life of the patient than he does in completing the surgery. And I think a lot of us right now, in the last couple of years especially, have felt a little bit like we've been in surgery, maybe a lot like we've been, or maybe we've actually been in physical surgery. There's been a lot of things that have happened. 
to a lot of us. And God, again, he comes very specifically. Sometimes he closes us up and he says, that's it for now. And there's times I felt revisited in the last two years, and I'm like, God, I thought we were working on this before. I thought we already did it. Yeah, we're coming back to it now. And so there's, there's this call to, we're God's workmanship, we're doing something amazing. He's also doing something amazing. So let's lean into that. These are things that I'm, that I'm had impressed on me from this chapter, from you know, Paul's relation, relationality with the uh, Philippians and, and from other things. And I'll end with this quote. This quote has been sitting with me, and some of you may have heard me say it um, in a conversation or an email, but I heard that Andrew Murray once wrote that humans are finite, broken, and gifted. If only we could see in the mirror and see in the eyes of that person on the street, see in the eyes of the person that we're in conflict right now, see in the eyes of the person that we deeply love and we don't know how to help them, they're hurting. If only we could see that they are finite, they have limits. Jesus chose to become finite. You've read that in Philippians 2. He chose to identify with us, even though he is infinite. But we are finite. We have limits. We're broken, particularly broken in the last few years, perhaps. And the Philippians were facing all kinds of challenges, but Paul leans in with, with that relational connectedness. And he says, and I see you, the giftedness that you have. And I see that you're living in that gift and you're living out of that gift. Ephesians 2.10, that God has prepared beforehand these things to walk in. And that is not just for some time or any time, it's for now, for such a time as this. So God, we thank you that you see us in our finiteness, our brokenness, our giftedness, and you love us so much. Like I was commenting to some friends we were visiting the other day and our kids were all running a little bit hell-mell around the, around the room and... and uh, the chaos that it seemed, the toys were going every which way. And I said, I think this is how God looks at us. He just looks at us in all the mess that we're in, the playful mess or the, or the broken mess, even the sinful mess. And he says, I love you so, so much. And you choose, like Paul exemplified here, to, to call out, to call out the sins, to call out the things that come against connection, against relationship, against wholeness and fullness of life. But you also come to give us example, to show us what this looks like in the flesh. You did that yourself, but you also placed people around us, like the Philippians had Paul and Epaphroditus and Timothy and these other names that Paul calls out, some women that he worked with here. Thank you that you give us that example. And God, we, say, we know that we are finite. We know that we are broken, and we've felt that even particularly heightened in the last, last little while. But God, we thank you that we are also gifted and that you have chosen to gift us beyond what we could ever imagine or ask for. You've chosen to gift us your spirit. And as we see your spirit in each other and in our context, would that draw us so deeply together at a time of great polarization in our world and in our communities? Would you see our hearts and would we see each other's hearts and would we see you in each other, see your Holy Spirit at move and working, your workmanship, and we may feel set aside, we may feel waterlogged, but you are making a beautiful masterpiece. And would you finish that in us and through us, in Jesus' name, just like you did in the Philippian church. Amen.